If you're struggling with attendance, just put tarps over the upper deck. Welcome to That's MLS with myself, Nick Thornton. With me, as always, is Andrew Bates. How are you doing, Nick? Oh, I'm surviving. Also, I will fully give credit where credit is due. That line comes from the Couch Ultras. Slightly paraphrased, but they're a great Twitter account. But I was like, that's that's a show opening if there ever was one. Nick, I'm so excited to be back for this North American Soccer Podcast. Oh yeah, it's been a while. Um, it. I feel like we. I feel like I came into the 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 period of lockdown of of this pandemic almost with pent up energy from the winter, and I think that we had better. You know, it was the you know the season started. We got a couple episodes in, and and almost when the pandemic began, it's like you know I've got all these plants. We're going to do this, 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 and this, and then when, we then, so then there was a certain point. Where you just run out of energy, and yeah, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. we're we're sorry uh, that it took so long, but we thank you for your patience and and, and to a certain degree, you know, uh, the the regular some regular signs of life were returning. The Whitecaps are making dumb moves. <laughs> Nature is healing. <laughs> that's that's. <laughs> That's that's how you know everything is fine again when the white caps start making boneheaded moves. You're like, oh well, things must be opening up again. Before we dive yes. into that, I kind of I wanted to check in. I mean, we haven't actually talked too much in in the last few weeks, or it's been a year. I'm not sure. Um, but I was kind of curious to know how have you been staying engaged in soccer? Like, have you been watching any soccer? Have you like, or have you kind of just been like? just holding out waiting for MLS to come back or some semblance of normal to norm normalcy to return. I'm really just wondering if like how do you how have you stayed engaged with the game at all if all if at all. Well, so at first the uh I will admit that I haven't played a minute of FIFA 19 since the last time we talked. Although I do have a copy a brand new copy of FIFA 20 sitting in front of me that I went out and bought because it was Nineteen dollars, because it was nineteen dollars ninety nine cents at EB Games. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted, and I wanted to. So maybe I could. There's still time for me to, to sort of get into the 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 current gen esports world. Um, I I think it, it, at first I was trying to do a lot of the supplemental stuff, um, which included. I did watch the uh, in early May the the EML. Parts of the EMLS tournament, mm-hmm. which actually was kind of fun and got me into understanding a little bit about. It's like there's two parts of it, right? Is the there's the part where two players play against each other that are MLS players, and then two esports players. And I felt that the the commentary on that part actually taught me about esports and like what you should expect when you're watching people play oh, FIFA okay. competitively. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I watched the I watched the Whitecaps one, and I watched um, the week before the Whitecaps one was Eric Godoy versus um, a TFC player. I have the I had the tweet up, but uh, the the problem kind of is is that it, and I also watched uh, New York Red Bulls Aaron Long versus um, Sean Johnson. And the problem in in both cases is that they start with the players, and you in those first round matches, it was just a match of a player that knew what they were doing and a player that did not know what they were doing. Right. It was Marky Delgado. Marky Delgado actually plays FIFA, and he, as as I joked on Twitter, it's like Eric Godoy is doing what I do when I play FIFA, which is just just desperately try to get extra touches so that I can reassure myself that I can pass to myself without yeah. being dispossessed. Uh, but those, that was great fun. Um, watching old games, great fun. Um, I think we kind of got into this once, once the restart happened, uh, I caught that first, um, K league game that was played, uh, with, with Suwon blue wings, which gave me a chance to see Donnell Henry, Turn yeah. in a a very uh, Donnell Henry like uh, performance where he absolutely held the line and probably pre- kept the game to a low score line. 
but also was probably responsible for the goal that was scored. Yeah. Uh, so know. that was that was that was that was familiar. I I mean I think that he did, he did really good. He did his best, but that was also the beginning of May. And then um, I did try to get a little into uh, the Bundesliga. Um, and when when that restart happened, in mm-hmm. my choice of I know we don't talk about European soccer that much around here, but hey, there's nothing else happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, my choice of team was based on the fact. Uh, well, I watched most of the. I watched a lot of Bayern because mm-hmm. I wanted to see Alfonso Davies, but yeah. As weird as it was to be in a position of rooting on Bayern Munich, because I've always just thought of them as being one of the big teams, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm usually, you know, one watching them cheering for the underdog. The uh, it was that was an interesting experience. But I also got behind Borussia Mönchengladbach, and the reason why is because Paul Stalteri played for them, and Rob Friend played for them as well. Paul Stalteri, both Canadians, and Rob Friend was from Abbotsford, but he also was from. Uh, Kelowna and played in Kelowna. So when I first, so when right, I first started becoming yeah. a fan, Stalteri played for Spurs, which was my Premier League team, and he had played at Gladbach before. And then um, Friend was playing for Gladbach at the time. So uh, I watched a bunch. I watched a bunch of Gladbach matches. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't have the best. Is it restart. Gladbach or Gladenbach or Much? What's the full one? So again? the full like the full name of the team is Borussia Mönchengladbach. Now the one thing that I don't get is whether or not you're supposed to say Gladbach or Gladbach. Sure. You know, uh, I mean, I feel like if you can remember all the parts of it, then you just you can pronounce it however you want. Gladbach is the best way. I, that's the yeah. that's the part of the team you need to know. They had the amazing experiment, which I uh, which I loved of. Um, printing out like the the foam standees of fans and putting them in the stands. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that Bayern went with the like tarps with like uh, like a sort of distorted perspective of like oh my fans God. sitting there. I mean, I I like the fact that they piped in like supporters' songs and chants. I thought that's a good idea to keep your team kind of mm. motivated. But the piped-in audience noise that doesn't necessarily sync up with the play, which, like, why would it? I thought was, like, kind of an unnecessary addition. <laughs> like, so it here's an really interesting cl- thing. Clearly on the broadcast. So my understanding is that they were talking about this. They were, they, they, I've heard that in Canada, Bundesliga um, over Sportsnet didn't have the fake noise. But oh, the U.S. got the fake noise. Like, the, the Bundesliga international distributor was offering fake noise versions and no fake noise versions. It's all fake um, noise. <laughs> but if you and, – and this is the thing. I tuned into Liverpool-Everton today. And DAZN was, off, was offering the fan your choice of either. Um, it seems like when you listen to a fake noise version – that they are like trying to, but it's almost. I wonder if you have somebody that has like a like a keyboard, like a like a like a musical keyboard with different like <laughs> effects. But if you're gonna do that, you should to go it. like full Rosie O'Donnell show and just have like. Wah, wah. <laughs> I want um. tunes. I want tunes. I want music. That's what I. That's what I think is that you. You should just have. I know that maybe it would. It would. The added dramatic nature, especially if it was any sort of like live, like if you had a keyboardist or an organist, like tr- like playing to the tone of whatever was happening in the match, maybe that would be that would be awesome to me. But it might affect, uh, I guess the the players themselves. It might not be the funnest thing to play around. Perhaps not, but I'm I do think, in all seriousness, I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation over the coming months. Uh, of, of like what's the right combination because the idea that there's going to be fans in a stadium anytime soon is just seems so impossible that I think there's going to be a lot of different things tried and I don't blame leagues and teams for just trying to you know throw pasta at the wall and see what sticks for the record I did choose the no 
the fake noise version. I've watched enough. I've watched enough college. I've watched enough college soccer to 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 be okay with the sound of three people yelling. Um, yeah, yeah. We all remember <laughs> watching USL streams. <laughs> uh, how you have you hear, kept? You up? can just hear whoever whoever the two guys or girls closest to the commentators are just hearing their whole conversation through the match. How have you been? Uh, 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 Staying engaged with and, and, and or connected to the game. I'm fine. Who's asking? Um, I admittedly have been kind of tuned out for a good portion of the last couple of months. I mean, I've been somewhat staying up to date with like the important headlines in MLS um, and with the Whitecaps, but especially over the last couple of months, I just felt like it was taking a lot more energy to stay engaged, but without the, like, without any soccer to watch. And so the fan engagement stuff, although it's nice to have little extra videos and stuff like that for the fans and behind-the-scenes stuff, I just, it almost kind of, like, made me more sad and made me miss soccer more to see players just talking and hanging out and, um, you know, having... I think I've told you, I can't remember if we said it on a show, but like seeing Jake Nerwinski in real life, <laughs> but also being like, oh, he's not playing any soccer. He's just out buying groceries like, <laughs> like me. Like it's nice, but also it's like, oh, I want soccer back. So I've similarly when Bundesliga started up again, mostly because I kept seeing headlines about Alfonso Davies just tearing up the pitch. I was like, well, uh, I would like to see some of this, please. So that kind of got me re-engaged. I haven't watched uh, a single full match of soccer, but uh, I do feel like life is slowly returning and my interest is is such that I can spend a little bit more energy trying to find something I want to watch um, rather than just hoping something will magically appear that satiates my need to see soccer part of it for me is that playing always helped me stay engaged in it um and that like playing and watching soccer always fit really nicely together because i'd go and play and then i watch some matches and i'd see what their teams were doing and seeing what goalkeepers were doing and try to incorporate that i mean in my own crazy amateur not at all effective way but you know it's as somebody that's a fan and interested in it that kind of helped me Get, keep engaged with it but with ni- with neither happening it, it's kind of almost like I had a few months there where I feel like soccer just disappeared from my life I think that's fair um, I think that one of the big issues is not to like you know go too hard on the pandemic side but the pandemic was really energy draining and it, it was really challenging and I think that this reflects everybody you know in their life when they are dealing with this kind of stuff that it's like you know, you are, you know, if you're working from home, it's like you're not working from home. You are trying to work during a pandemic yeah. uh, is it is a tweet that his is stuck with me for a while. And, and it was that way in terms of trying to um, in terms of trying to keep up with all that. And then, you know, the the death of George Floyd happened and the protests that happened around that uh, mm-hmm. happened in. And I think that that in in an in an important way also disrupted like entertainment. Yeah. Like yeah, you yeah. know, like, like like what are you gonna do while that's happening? Uh, like, go watch MLS Cup two thousand nine. No. Yeah. Well, and and that's exactly it, right? Is there's just been more important things going on, and at the beginning of. MLS shutting down, there's kind of this thing like, well, it's, you know, this is bigger than sports and et cetera, et cetera. But now it's like, well, this is bigger than everything as Mm -hmm. inequalities are brought to the forefront. And as we all now grapple with the realities that have always been there, but now people are being forced to reckon with. And we sort of, I, I still have to, that's the right phrasing, but I feel like we're at a tipping point where, we decide to go one way or the other. We decide to lean into the route we were going with the foot on the gas towards the edge of the cliff, or we decide to take, you know, an honest, hard look at ourselves and go, there are things that we've been doing that have not been working and people that have been excluded 
and targeted and there's an opportunity to do things differently which isn't to try to put a positive spin on it but like that's the energy right now in the world these are the decisions people are making while also fighting for survival on a number of fronts so yeah i i feel like it's just been there's so much other stuff going on there's been very few points to even really think about soccer or think about it as something important however as we all know you there's also the need to have something in your life that brings joy and brings some <laughs> sense of community and and i've really been missing it and even like before prepping for this show just being on like soccer twitter for the first time in a long time being like oh this is a like nicer place which i don't always feel but like we talked about this last year that you know soccer supporters are a pretty keyed in bunch for the most part are politically aware and politically active group of people um and that part i've i've missed more than anything of being a part of a a supporters culture that that feels like you know that in some way we're doing something together i think that's something that i took for granted a little bit um until i like looked into other fandoms i at the end of one of those Bundesliga games um, was the NHL press conference where they announced their coming back plans. Um, and then that was couched in the middle of a, of a Sportsnet radio broadcast, like a talk show. Mm-hmm. Like the, the interview was delivered in it. And I just feel like the discussion, and this is a positive thing around soccer, I just was really surprised... That the idea of whether or not this was safe to keep doing or like whether or not it was a good idea was right not really floated not trying to be i'm being critical and i'm not trying to like put anybody on blast but it's like there was this point where they were like what is your biggest worry and don't talk about the health risk because we're all adults well we're, we know there are health risks what's your biggest concern with the tournament and i was like i could i couldn't believe what i was hearing <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and we um, have seen. Sorry. Can, no, 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 go, go, go. Well, I was just going to say that we have seen across numerous sports in the past that there's been an effort by league owners, by team owners, and sometimes by players to keep things apolitical um, and to pretend that the outside world doesn't impact things that are happening in an arena or on the pitch. Um, and and that's something that I think you and I both appreciate about soccer is that there's always room for it and there always has been a a very direct link between sports and politics so let's let's try uh well the the politics stuff will will definitely come in more of it later but let's let's talk a little bit about this i know that that once this tournament was announced that this was something that you know well we're 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 back into play we have something to talk about we're going to talk about this but the, the further that all of these tournaments, the MLS's, MLS's tournament, NBA tournament, uh, everybody that is trying to do bubble stuff, especially in Florida, like, yeah, should this be happening? It, it has seemed like in the last, that, that cases have really spiked up in Florida. They had on between Thursday and Friday, they had two uh, record day increases with, I think it was like, 3,207 cases on Thursday, and then uh, 3,822 cases on Friday. It's popping off. I think I saw somewhere today it was 4,000-something. So, like, it's... Yeah, I mean, before we could even discuss the fact that MLS is back, I mean, I'm just going to start with, it seems like there's a very real possibility that this tournament could just not happen. Uh, and which I know might sound like, I mean, come on, this has taken so long and look at all the work that's been put into it. But there's already been three MLS players that have tested positive for COVID-19. Nobody's even flown to Florida yet. Like nobody's yet flown to the hot spot. Baseball teams are going back. Like if you like, like, like they are flying to the, everybody is doing group training in their home stadiums to make sure that they don't get it in Florida, which I think in baseball is the place that it's going to be. Josie Altidore 
the the noise the the uh, the announcement was made. Altador lives in, I think he does live in Florida. Uh, Altador went back to TFC today, <laughs> and he's gonna and he's gonna self quarantine in Toronto for fourteen days and train alone for fourteen days so that he can he can join group training with TFC. But it's like, and then they're all gonna go back. Yeah, I mean. The idea that this was ever going to work seemed kind of ambitious, but given that other teams and other leagues were, all right, well, I guess just other leagues were planning something, it sort of seemed to make sense, and it seemed like, yeah, playing in one city does make a lot of sense, um, and it seemed like a sensible plan. My real thought as to why it could perhaps not go ahead is because of the Players' Union, because the Players' mm-hmm. Union was part of organizing this event to begin with, and part of the reason they agreed to it was having certain safety guards in place to ensure the health of players. But you're going to have situations where players are just refusing to come to this tournament if if this continues. And very rightfully so, to protect their own health and the health of their families. Um, I heard today Carlos Velas applied for special permission to not attend the tournament to be with his uh, pregnant wife, which makes a lot of sense. And I think would be something he'd be requesting even if there wasn't a global pandemic. However, like, I just, I wonder at what point um, there there will be something. It, it just feels like there's going to be something that tips the scales and says this just can't happen. Because you're just going to have too many players testing positive. Um, like, I get the idea of holding it in one city. It's much easier to control the flow of people and making sure that they're not coming into contact with things. But as we've seen with these states where cases are on the rise particularly, we know that there's far more people infected than are getting tested. So that even just the numbers that are insanely high, those are still probably on the low side of how many people are actually infected. So there's just so little way to guarantee that a site with all of these players from all these different parts of uh, the U.S. and Canada are going to be safe and nobody's going to get infected while there um, is just bonkers to me. And And if you're doing contact tracing, wouldn't it then be the case, like, all it takes is one player on one team, and then the whole team has got to be quarantined or, I mean, tested, but what if you're playing SKC the next day and, you know, this is the thing. One of their guys is, and you know that one of the players on the team just tested positive for COVID-19 and the next day you're playing that, that entire team. As an idea, the idea that you go into a, uh, a resort that has been closed because of the pandemic and you create this pandemic bubble that you, that only your players, you know, interact with is, is like at least like in theory like something you could process except that another league had the same idea and wants to do it in the same place and you now you're both in Disney World and then they open Disney yeah <laughs> and, the, and the support staff is not going to be bubbled which i mean like for i mean i wouldn't want to work this either and and, and it's just a really frustrating it's a frustrating situation. It's frustrating to think about. And I think that my issue is, I know that is businesses, they say that it's not, or, you know, any league will say that we're not so out of money that we're going to go out of business if we don't play this tournament. But everybody wants to make money. And fundamentally, if you're, if you're a league, you want to exist. You know what I mean? Like you, if, if, if the thing that you do is, is make football games, you're going to want to, do that. I understand that to a certain degree. But to me, even though I was okay with no fan games, to some mm-hmm. extent, like, I understand that it's still being made for me. It's still being, like, like it. I don't feel, as a fan, you know, not that I have a, an MLS team, and not that I'm in an MLS market anyways and could go to any of these games, but as a, as a, uh, as a fan, I don't feel insulted that they're going on without me because I know that it, yeah. ultimately it's it's entertainment that is being produced for the audience of Major League Soccer. But 
I almost feel that like, why does sports have to happen? What is what yeah. is the thing that 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 really means that this absolutely like what's the what's the actual imperative for this to happen? And I feel that when you are taking teams out and you're you're taking them out of market or they're to another location to play all the games in one location because that's the that's the best you think that you can do with it. It's like, well, why why do you have to actually? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's. And with that, it it makes me question all of the decision making in it. Like, why have it in uh, in Florida in the first place? And you have to feel like it's pressure from the two clubs there that spend a fortune on players and are have struck some kind of deal in MLS to to have this tournament held there. When I was like, realistically, if you wanted to hold this thing in a place that's safer vancouver probably would have been the best choice except if here's the thing at... the nhl is looking at vancouver so now if, if Yo, yeah 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 that's right that... that's right exactly <laughs> exactly and and even then with that discussion that's come here now of course the discussion in vancouver is like well maybe we don't want it here with exactly your point of like does it have to happen at all like you want to take hundreds of players from all around the U.S. and open the border, especially for them, and have them in the city, even if they're all they're doing is going from you know the their hotels to the arena. It's just as we've seen, this virus thrives on people moving around, and the idea that we need to move around a bunch of people right now to go do a sports seems foolish. But given it seemed like they had a good plan in place, but I just find it if we're talking thousands of new cases every day in Florida, even if those aren't actually in the counties or in the actual city where this is taking place, it just it's really hard to imagine that this gets better in a couple of weeks and that by July 8th, this tournament is going to be happening. And if it does happen, which I think will probably not be a great idea, I don't think it's going to be able to actually go all the way through because you're going to have at least one team that has to drop out because of positive tests. Because how can you put about, um, players at risk like that? To your point about location, I think that it's a good thing to point about out because the reason why the Korean League started early is because Korea was in a better um position health-wise in Germany at least thought it was in a better position health-wise when it chose to do its restart the reason why you would start in Florida is because is the same reason why WWE and AEW and UFC have been running in Florida which is the administration in Florida is open to having big business and entertainment companies taped there and also yeah um Disney owns yeah. e- ESPN and they have that uh they have the the live world of sports complex which is amenable to broadcast stuff and also has a bunch of you know um fields available you've seen preseasons taped there etc i think some of the i think some of the all-star game stuff was taped there in in recent years um like it's all down to like own who owns mm-hmm. what like like my understanding is that's also how the that's why the NWSL tournament is in Utah because they have access to Rio Tinto Stadium. It's right, which I mean, it, like it it's it's a business. There's always going to be business decisions that get made based on access and, and things like that that that's fine like i i understand how the world works i'm not naive so i i think it's fine to like cut some deals here and there but to your point about the administration thing is like you just we've clearly <laughs> seen in the past four months that just because you can so that's that's our very um, optimistic upper, this is this is what we came back to do folks is to <laughs> So, Andrew, who do you think is going to win the take-home-all-the-winnings in this? The, the, the tournament is scheduled for July 8th uh, with with 54 matches taking place. Um, the idea, I guess, is that you're going to have a group stage, and people have compared the way that these groups work to um, kind of like the World Cup. 
except that one of the groups has six teams randomly. Um, the uh, you're gonna have a group stage. You're gonna have a round of sixteen from July twenty fifth to twenty eighth. You're gonna have the quarterfinals ending August first, the semifinals ending August sixth, and then a final theoretically ending August eleventh. I'm not. I don't want to continue being negative. Too much, unearned in an unearned way. But what is this going to mean? But like, like at the end of the day, is the winner of this going to be able to say yeah. they were the MLS champions for this year? Is the winner of this what? It, what is this going to mean to a team's history that they won this thing? Yes, or it could just be. Oh, are you asking me? <laughs> Shoot, uh, I, was, I was like, "That's <laughs> a great that this is going to mean anything." Question. Our fans should consider. Well, so they've they've said that the, all the matches will count towards the season, uh, which makes sense. Um, so you'll collect the points. Um, I think at this point, even though that's not like a super fair system, people are just like, "Well, at least it's something that's going towards the league." If the tournament happens. Um, I think yeah. that this is probably going to be it for the season. I find it very hard to believe because people are talking about like, well, what if there's a second wave? The U.S. hasn't even peaked in terms of the first wave. I don't see soccer happening in the fall unless by some miracle there is no second wave. Uh, they will have to schedule some other tournament like this and have players concentrated in one area, in one city to make it happen. Um, but I don't think by the fall... The, there's going to be players traveling back and forth and to be frank I think it's something that they're not talking about because they don't want to admit that reality but if you know if you work in certain industries you know that the plan for basically not returning to normal goes well into 2021 and the, the idea that there's going to be a, a massive spike in travel I think they're opening it up because they know that they're going to have a very small window in which travel and tourism dollars can be made because things are going to close up again. I know that that sounds kind of conspiracy theory, but I really do think at the end of the day, people are are thinking about in terms of dollars, what can be made in the shortest period of time because this isn't going to last. So in terms of what it means in the long run, I think it will be a nice distraction if it happens. I I feel like it's going to be a disaster. I hope for the players' sake and their health and their families it's not. I hope that it goes smoothly and everyone's healthy and they can just play mm-hmm. soccer. God knows I would just love to watch some soccer. I f- but I feel like it's terribly misguided. And if, it all, if, if the tournament isn't even allowed to finish, then I guess... Um, it, it feels like there there was no point to begin with. Uh, yeah, I, I think ultimately it won't mean much because no team has played in four months. Uh, teams are, are will only have trained together for a month, and so fitness levels are, are and readiness is going to be all over the map. So, in terms of like, uh, is there a team that could win that will tell us who might be champion for the year? I feel like the winner will probably be crowned champion because there won't be any more games played. But I, I feel like right now, any team entering it has I as think good a chance that, as any um, other team. One of the things that I have learned from Bundesliga, it really seems that teams that prepared better for the restart just did better. Um, that were that were that were more fired up. And ultimately, I think that mm-hmm. one of the things mm-hmm. that we don't have a lot of space for in sports is that that element of trying to deal with the mental side of like, can you mentally put it all together? And I think that you have to, as a fan, what's worked for me with Bundesliga and with the early rounds of the, the, the first round now gone of the Premier League restarting is that you kind of have to have less of a, you have to be less tense about it. You know, it's going to, it's going to work or it's going to not work. You have to enjoy, mm-hmm. I guess, the fact if you're, if you're, if you're going to watch, you can also just not watch. And I think that's a fine and, and like justified decision. If you want to enjoy it, it's like the thing is going to be to just like to 
bask in the familiarity of the fact that your your favorite teams and players are back and and the familiar sounds that you like so well are back and and yeah. and less like you know so and so you know blew a defensive maneuver it's like that's going to be harder to it, it's going to be harder because if if any any of these mental lapses or anything that comes out of like um miss like bad coordination is going to have a single it's going to have a single cause i'll tell you what as i was thinking this thought i realized it's not true but i was like it's gonna be the best possible time to be a <laughs> assistant because people will be so much more forgiving and then i just remembered the first weekend of uh premier league play and i was like well that's not true but i mean they hate it in england to begin with i feel like var and mls this year people will just be like hey, whatever it's a, you know yeah, what it's just the, nice to see var the, again the refreshing return of 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 long referee breaks Ted Uncle seeing a penalty that never happened some of the, is just going to be like, oh, I remember Some of the this. news bits, if we wanted to talk speaking just real briefly. Of, we did refer, of, we did a, 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 we did allude yeah. to it, but one of the big, you know, stopping points in all this was was the Players Association. They almost looked like they were going to be on the, having negotiated uh, earlier this year, the new CBA, they really did seem like they were going to um, come to blows again. Uh, with some potential work stoppage, uh, but they did reach a deal yeah. um, on June third that uh, that involved a five percent cut to player salaries and an extension of the existing CBA, uh, but also the and the insertion of a force majeure clause, and also um, payment contingent on certain attendance targets being met has been taken out of there too. So so they the players got some movement. Uh, the players really did go to the wall and, and got a little bit of movement, and I think that is something to watch for sure as the tournament comes closer uh, to its start date. Absolutely. Um, speaking of perennial things and things that feel familiar, uh, the Whitecaps this week decided to spring <laughs> back to life. Sorry, I should have your drink to start this. <laughs> Uh, and we found out that m- much beloved CEO of the Whitecaps, uh, Mark Penis, who came to the, the group uh, at the beginning of the season, has been ousted. He has been let go in a restructuring move, it's been called. And Axel Schuster now takes over both the technical director side and the CEO business side of the club. The club saying this wasn't anything to do with money, um, but they wanted to have a single voice going forward. And they let Panis know as he had just finished uh, finalizing a long-term lease on a house here in Vancouver. And he was uh, not available for full comment because he was dealing with the death of his father. So the Whitecaps in true Whitecaps form have really just uh, pulled the Whitecaps. The, I mean, let's, let's focus on this piece of news first. And then maybe more about what it means. It's so hard to fathom because he had been such a a a positive voice for the team in 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 establishing communication with the supporters group that it had some real issues both on the field and you know the the continuing um the continuing protests or the protests that took place last year about issues with the Whitecaps women's team that it haven't really been. I mean, I guess the review came out, but but one of the thing there's they the damage from that still had not been fixed, and and Panis came and he um, did yeah. his best when the team seemed to flub up to uh, to acknowledge the issues that had happened to be very transparent about what was going on. He was front and center with. The updates that were taking place, he was front and center with this um, this campaign with the aquarium, which I loved. This idea that they were gonna that to save the Vancouver yeah. Aquarium, they were gonna sell masks. So then they sold so many masks that now the aquarium and the Whitecaps became mask selling companies <laughs> um, because they they didn't realize. Yeah, yeah, like they're having they, trouble meeting under, all the orders. Under that, which yeah, I assume yeah. has, is his leadership. 
it's like they guided what community remains around the team through a really challenging time. Like one of the things that one of the lines that I come back to over and over is mm-hmm. his opening press conference where he says, you know, everything will be judged 50-50. Nobody knows 100% what they're going to be doing as we come into this. And it's been so, um, what's right and what's wrong is going to be judged in retrospect, was his quote. And I I believe I believe that. And mm. I think that in retrospect, you have to say that he was doing a really good job with the Whitecaps and to, again, have another... Uh, a firing that comes out of nowhere, a firing where if you judge the circumstances of how it was alleged to be have done was pretty shabby thing to do to somebody who had just started a multi-year contract. Um, and mm-hmm. this is not the first time this has happened with the Whitecaps, right? If you think all the way back to Alain Rochat, if you think to players who, nope. who thought mm-hmm. that they had things, who, who thought that they were going to get... Well, even he who shall not be named, old uh, Camilo Sanveso, there was certainly talk there that there were there were pieces in his contract that he was unhappy with or things that there wasn't a lot of respect shown there, which at the time was very hard to understand or, or really see. But certainly over time, seeing a pattern of behavior with the club, um, you know, seems to make more sense. My thing for me is like, when has there ever <laughs> been a beloved CEO of anything, let alone a sports team? Like, it should tell you everything. It should tell you everything and also everything about the Whitecaps. That to bring in a CEO and then to fire him and have that be the ter- the flashpoint. That a lot of, like, diehard supporters who were really, really leaning in and going all in on the Whitecaps this year have finally just thrown their hands up and said, I'm out, and canceled their season's tickets. And and this is really... They, they're taking it very personally, And I get it, but I'm also, at the same time, sort of like, this is a a business guy. Like, this isn't your favorite player. This is a CEO who's been at the club for less than six months and shouldn't... That tells you everything about the kind of impact that he had as as a person and in his role that this is the kind of reaction that's happening. And for me, it just, regardless of what the reasons actually were, um, it just shows you how off base the ownership is. They just have no clue what supporters want and like and need. And it really would have been better just to have said, this is a financial decision. Thanks so much, Mark, but we can't afford to keep uh, this probably very expensive role on payroll. So we're going to be consolidating. There was probably a way to do this that might have made a little bit more sense and saved some damage, but it just, it, it's so cloak and dagger and, and just seemingly unnecessary and for me the the unfortunate part is everybody likes axel schuster as well it's not a case of like oh we're gonna go under now because we don't have that leadership it's just that why hire this person why hire this expert why benefit from all of that so much and then just let that person go and it feels in the reasons given just feel insulting because it's like supporters are, are smarter than that you're just giving empty business speak to say like we're consolidating and we're streamlining and we're moving forward with one vision and one voice be like you had a guy that dealt with the sports side and you, got, you say a guy that dealt one with vision side. one That's voice complicated is, is what jeff mallet said about this that they wanted to focus it down to one voice i when you have an owner that says this it's i feel and this is all speculation on my part but i mm-hmm. feel that it's never it's never about some lower manager that feels aggrieved. And there has been no external sense that actual Schuster had any issues. I had never came across any information that the two of them had any friction and he was warm towards Axel on his way out the door. So yeah. if, if you have a chair that says, Oh, well, we're, we have an issue with who's speaking for the team. I don't think that it's somebody that's not the owner that feels aggrieved. Um, I think the issue is, is that yeah, they had yeah, exactly. some, they had three key things, Cavallini, Lucas Cavallini signing, actual Axel Schuster and Panis were the three transactions. It's like, wow, this team, which has spun its wheels, alienated its fan base, 
and had nothing to show for it on the pitch, this team might actually be doing something. Two of those items remain in place, but but they all were also mm-hmm. laid on a foundation of people that were still, the ownership was still in place, certain other key executives were still in place, and, and people wonder, well, are they really going to do much different? And this is definitely the same. And I think that one of the one of the, the things that bothers me is that you have okay, so we talked a lot last year in the the depths of this issue with the white the the problems that had existed at the Whitecaps women's team um, around sexual misconduct in and how they were reported and what the, yeah. how they were dealt with, right? They said, we're apologizing, we're going to try and learn from it. And at the time, it felt like, what's a team? If you can't, if you can't respect, you can't feel good about the, the office, about the club, it's like, part of the feeling mm-hmm. that I have is just like, are we the bad guys? Like, do we suck? You know, like, it's hard to, it's hard not to look at yeah. the Whitecaps as a team yeah. that does bad things. And one of the things that you, and one of the things that really bothered me is that at the same time, uh, I had it written down here what the timeline was, but another thing that happened, I think, days after we spoke last, is that Anthony Blondell was charged. It was revealed that Anthony Blondell was charged in 29 for sex assault that occurred while he was a whitecap at the residence where other players lived. At the same time as they were trying to loan him out or sell him off, or, or sorry, the incident happened the year previously while he was on the roster, and then he was loaned off, and then he was sold at the time that he I I can't remember if he was sold after he was being charged or if he was being charged as as it was happening, but their men, their mentality around it is nobody talked about it at the time because he wasn't an employee. This was the Whitecap statement about it. This is after they said they changed. But before they brought in Schuster. So right. you have this thing where they say, oh, well, Axel didn't know, or you can't say that Marpanis know because he came in in January. But like, this is a team whose the complete recovery from what had happened in the protest was really based on the idea that they had changed as an organization, that they realized that both when those issues took place and also last year that they realized that they were screwing up last year. They had done bad things with how that they had handled it and that they were going to try and be more transparent in the future and then didn't do it. And yeah. And, and there's been not aside from the hirings of uh, Axel Schuster and Mark Pennis, there really hasn't ever been any evidence to support that there has been change. And as we've seen, you know, systemic culture is, is hard to uproot and it doesn't change just because you bring a couple of new people in. And it ultimately, yeah, I, I agree that your question of like, what is a team? I, I feel the same way that there's such a disrespect for, for fans and people that <laughs> really, really, really want to like this club that it's just like, can you stop viewing everything as a PR issue and just own up to what's happening and be transparent about things? Because that's the stuff that actually wins you some respect and some understanding and and maybe even some empathy. But I, I ultimately feel like the ownership just treats fans like a, they're stupid or B they don't really care. And both are wrong. And it's really not surprising to see people abandon this club in droves. And I think the thing that's easy to forget is because they only played one home match is this year is that they were still really struggling with attendance. They were really struggling to get people into seats. And yes, the new signings helped bolster some of that, but they weren't even close to be beginning to recover over what happened last year and, and the sort of bleeding out of fans and, you know, especially with this, I think it's easier for them to sort of sit and say, like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. It'll blow over because there's no fans in the stadium anyway. But 
if things do open up and, and do return to normal, I, I think they're going to be in for a pretty nasty financial shock at the number of people that have just finally had enough and just walked away from the club, probably for good, because it's just, it is a pattern. And I think at this point, it's fair to say there's a systemic toxic culture at the Whitecaps. It seems to come from the top, and it doesn't matter who they put in place, because that person could be removed tomorrow, and we'll never know the reasons, and like the the promise of a, a different future for the Whitecaps just seems to be something that they're they're really good about putting a spin on it and and saying the right things and sometimes even bringing in the right people to say the right things for them but at the end of the day if there's no desire to change it is wild to me that you finish a period where you take pretty substantial payments out of people's accounts for products that they're not getting and then you fire the person who was in charge of making people okay with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who was, I mean, I don't know how many, how much was being canceled before, but anyways, we'll, we'll find more. We'll find out. I, I, I suspect that, that we'll find out more. It really affects the, the view. I think it has really affected the view of the team from the rest of the league. And it was bad, you know. You know, people were putting together these lists. What's the yeah. best? What are the best ten MLS rivalries? It's specifically going out of their way to say uh, Seattle, Seattle and Portland, but not Vancouver. Like they were just like, like there's there's a there's a yeah. large amount of Vancouver disrespect, which I feel bad about, but also maybe, but it gets harder and harder to fight, you know. <laughs> well, and when. Exactly. If you run your club like a bunch of amateurs, you can't exactly be upset when people point you out as such. And at, at this point, most people are like, yeah, I mean, fair criticism. Um, I feel like, Please. you know, we, we got to offer some sense of optimism. And one of the things that's happening around the league is uh, a conversation around race and racial discrimination. Obviously, horrifying things that are continuing to happen daily against black people in the United States. But one of the... Um, to me more encouraging things that's happened is the black players coalition of mls is a group of black players got together and formed this on of their own volition and perhaps the most surprising thing is that mls is actually officially supporting it and giving it some much deserved airtime and uh mls in a complete about face from last year is standing pretty firmly behind the message of black lives matter and standing behind black players and although it might be politically convenient for them to do so now that there's a, a critical mass around it, it's really encouraging to just see the league take stock and let players speak for themselves. Um, since the killing of George Floyd, they've been highlighting a number of black voices in MLS. And these are the the essays and, and um, sound bites and things that they're sharing from these players. They're not pulling punches. And MLS seems to be letting them speak from the heart and speak candidly. And that's been both encouraging to see, but also really enlightening because um, however you might think you understand about a situation, hearing about more different perspectives about it and the lived experiences, especially from black players in MLS, um, has been something that's been great. So I'm glad to see that this momentum has carried through to an actual players coalition um, that's going to be... I mean, it really is from the players for the players and and fighting to look to rectify some of the things that have been plaguing I think that, you know, you saw MLS do some, you know, host some interesting roundtables last year. This is this is significant for a way. And here's what I think is important about it. Um, You. I think that the the thing that you can judge a brand against at this time, so many brands are, are you know jumped in with their their messages about how they thought that this mattered, and then immediately they're getting this huge where yeah. where somebody you know breaks up the awful stuff that they've done in the past. Uh, U.S. Soccer getting this huge over you know yeah. they put out their statement and people were like, "Hey, remember when you?" made a rule about how you're not allowed to protest the anthem anymore. And, and they have rolled that back. Thankfully, the difference between some of the things that can seem performative is that I really appreciate that the, 
that like black players are being given a platform to you know they they were speaking anyways as soon as this was was happening many people were were outspoken um but to give the the players themselves a platform to make change and to actually put as opposed to to do a marketing campaign like to actually put people front and center and putting them forward and letting them direct the change i think is really really important Yeah, absolutely. I was just bringing up, um, there's been so many great things that players have, have brought to the fore, um, but I've been in particular reading Jeremy Abobasi, who's always been an outspoken guy, um, has been incredibly eloquent about uh, the situation that's going on and, and especially the 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 long history of this and exactly how these mechanisms play out today um so i I just encourage people to to go through if you're like me and you've kind of been taking a bit of a break from mls content and you're not entirely sure what's going on mlssoccer.com right now has most of their main stories as the voices of black players um and it's a pretty broad range and and different perspectives on where things are at and you know differing levels of ideas and and anger and what comes next and i just it's really refreshing to see a league let its players speak for themselves about the issues that that matter and i think is the perfect example of how as always soccer has been a really great example of how uh, politics in the outside world does matter and it does impact what's happening on the pitch and it is more important than the sports and we don't need our soccer players to just shut up and play the sport um, this is a great example of, hey, look, they do actually have really important and intelligent things to say about this. And maybe the those of us who are saying, well, I don't want to get my political opinions from athletes would do well to maybe if, shut if, up ourselves. If MLS wants to call this the League for a New America, as they as they did in that ad, ad week piece last year, it's like the do you create this community? And, and one of the things that I wanted to mention, because it was unfortunate um, that um, the situation with Alexander Katai, where his wife said something, said a number of things mm-hmm. on Instagram mm-hmm. that were really awful, and and it made him uh, unacceptable to the community around that team. Um, he he said that he didn't, he doesn't stand by it, but he is gone from the team, and I think that at least from the statement that I saw, he understands why. And, and it's the the metric for how you judge somebody related to what their partner does is always challenging. But in this case, the community of the LA Galaxy made it overwhelmingly clear how they felt about it and what they wanted done. And I am glad that the LA Galaxy took such swift action. Absolutely. And, and that's, that is some yeah, and I think that um, there, there's always going to be an element of people that talk about like you know the witch hunt or you know the 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 sort of trial by Twitter kind of thing that that get upset when things like this happen. But uh, for me, it's it's like well, this is the supporters, as you say, that decided really what should happen, and just make it known this is not a player that they're prepared to support going forward, and they'd like to see removed from the club and. I, I think that that ultimately that's 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 only ever going to matter more that supporters care about who's putting on the jersey and who's representing them on the field and why talk about a team why talk about a community why talk about respect for uh the jersey and the city and all of that if you're not going to stand by it and I likewise commend Galaxy for standing by that because it, it does set uh, I think a really good precedent for the team to say, look, if you're going to play for this club, you're going to have to accept certain things about where you live and the community around this club. And if you can't su- uh, support those things, and, and you're even if it's your spouse who's going to be going off on social media about it, then you're not welcome here. And I, I think that there's really no clear message that can be sent at this time that you know, to equivocate on these matters is to completely lose the plot and lose direction and is exactly why we're in this mess. 
Um, other news uh, that we uh, that has been going on. Um, the NWSL return to play is coming. Uh, the 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 people there have all the 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 frustrating thing has been that they are currently planned to be the first you know league back and everybody all, and they're talking about the return to professional sports. Uh, so many people are saying are listing all these leagues. They're not including the NWSL. It is the NWSL will be the first league back. Yeah. Um, in now oh, I had this I had this uh, this. I had this number in front of me. I think June 26th. Mm-hmm. Um, June 27th. I was close. Um, is is Rio Tinto called Zion's Bank Stadium now? That's what's in this press release. Anyways, okay. um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that comes together. Uh, they also had some CBA issues coming up to it um, with uh, players getting uh, in, in exchange for, you know, salary cuts, I think. Um getting some, uh, or exchange for, I'm not sure exactly what the concessions were, but they got guaranteed contracts, which is great. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's really good. Um, Canadian Premier League is looking to do its own, uh, bubble single site tournament. Um, the last that we've heard, I believe from the commissioner, we're looking at, uh, either Langford, BC, Charlottetown, PEI, or Moncton, New Brunswick as the potential home for that. Um, nice. That's kind of up in the air. The, the Canadian Premier League situation that's different. I, I think as Canadians, sometimes it's hard to understand just how different the situation in the states is. Yeah, health wise. Yeah. Um, but but I guess the other thing that's different too is that most of the players have been in Canada this whole time. Um, mm-hmm. so they're slightly different concerns around having you know bringing them together. Um, the uh. For the Canadian women's national team, um, Kenneth Heider-Mahler is heading back to Denmark to accept a teaching role, I believe. Oh, uh, he finishes his uh, his tenure. I had that it was like is like twenty wins, ten losses, uh, and and I think that the the discussion around this has been that that he did not do very well. If you look at the if you look at the tenure, um, because the metric of success is the World Cup. In yeah. Canada, could have done a lot better at the World Cup, and and I think that that the Heinemaler era maintained what was already in place, and, and I think gave some time to young players. But I don't think that that there was addition other other than the development of those young players. I don't think there was was progression in the team itself, and indeed they dropped to for ranks from when he started to now. Mm. Yeah. So the 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 process of what is going to happen with him is or what's going to happen with the replacement is uh is going to be interesting. Um those are uh, those are some of the things that that I've been uh tracking in terms of other tournaments. We're going to have so much we we had no soccer and now Everybody's going to, this is always something that I think was predictable. Everybody is going to get their, try to get their tournaments off at the same time. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. I mean, and I really, I I know that for folks listening to this, they've been in the same position as us and just want to watch some soccer and believe us, we're with you. But uh, it's, they're not just, playing soccer they're playing soccer amongst a global pandemic like the, all of us trying to maintain some sense of normalcy god we want soccer back but uh, we also want it to be done responsibly and safely and not see this dragged out even longer than it needs to be so we'll see should be an interesting few weeks i have one more actually i realized i forgot uh fc cincinnati hired a uh, former manchester united player Japstam as coach and then posted a picture of the wrong bald Dutch guy well I mean that's a mistake anybody can make (laughs) (laughs) which Twitter went really well with Uh, but that was so we it's important that we have a little bit of levity in this time I feel like FC Cincinnati is just forever going to be the the like younger brother in MLS where it's just, just like really really trying but just keeps stepping in it (laughs) 
where can we find you online? Uh, well, <laughs> most of the time you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at that's so MLS. Admittedly, a little quiet these days, but I promise uh, I will re-engage with those avenues. Where can we find you? Hey, plug your album. Plug. Oh, okay. Um, I have music. I uh, I recorded an album in a single day because I got really bored. <laughs> that was only like month one. Um, you can find my music on Bandcamp. The name is Ayo Royoko. A Y O R O Y O K O. Keeping it easy for you. It's good. I downloaded. I I uh, I, I was blasting it on my deck. Thanks, buddy. While eating breakfast. You can find me online at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. You can find this podcast online. Please re- review and subscribe. Yeah, and we'll we'll keep going. Um, obviously, we're on a somewhat uh, flexible schedule, shall we say, a hybrid schedule um, of <laughs> when there's stuff to talk about and when we can pull, both pull ourselves out of the void at the same time. So... Uh, we're, we're trying here, but as with all of you, day-to-day is how we're taking things. Um, be safe. Wear your yeah. mask. Don't get sent off. <laughs>